Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at Bloomberg.com. I want to bring in Lex Kersemakers. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, I Absolutely correct. Oh, fabulous. He is president and CEO of Volvo Cars of North America here at the North American International Auto Show. Um, Lex, what has surprised you about this show? Just looking in general, has anything? Um, I think what you, what you see here is, is, is the trend which is going on. More pickup trucks, more SUVs. And uh, and autonomous drive is 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 the um, let's say is the hot word out uh, today. Yeah, but is is that from demand from consumers or is it for auto companies to feel like they've got a toehold in what could come, perhaps in the next decade? No, I think we, we as automotive manufacturers we, we need to be a little bit ahead of the of, of the gang, and we strongly believe. At least I speak for Volvo. We. We have a very clear vision. By 2020, nobody should be killed or seriously injured in a Volvo car. And autonomous drive is a very important ingredient of, 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 of reaching that target. So I, I think it's, it's driven where the automotive industry is, is going in the future. Let's talk about Volvo cars. Uh, you did what about a half a million at last uh, last year? We uh, we had a we had a, a, a third in a row record, right. uh, a year in a row record for, for, for five hundred and thirty-four thousand units. Okay, five hundred thirty-four thousand units. Let's look at the sort of breakdown of those units and what you see for the future. Uh, the uh, let's start with what you're going to unveil or trying to unveil today. What what is up with this T8 hybrid? Uh, drivetrain uh, with a combined combustion engine. Now we have uh, we have the XC90, and okay. that is the the T8. It's an electrical motor and it's a four cylinder four cylinder engine. So you have the best out of two worlds. You can drive electric and you can drive with your regular combustion engine. What we will show today is is another step in what we again I'm talking about autonomous drive. Um, we will start a project in in Sweden end of this year where we hand over 100 cars to regular customers who are going to experience what autonomous drive means in their daily life. And that's the car This is in Gothenburg. This is in Gothenburg, Sweden, where, where, where the Volvo headquarters is. What about in the U.S.? I mean, how concerned are you, Lex, about the political backdrop in, and interfering with uh, Volvo's plans to unveil both autonomous cars as well as manufacture things in the cheapest possible manner? Um, I, let me take a step back. We, we have decided to build a factory in the United States. Was we, it because of Trump? Uh, that was far before President-elect Trump came, in, came into the picture. We decided... This is in to, South Carolina. This is in South Carolina. We decided that two years ago we will start producing cars mid-2018. We built that factory in the United States because we wanted to be in the United States. Of course, Mexico was an option. There were other places where we could go. We wanted to be here because Volvo has been here for 60 years. So it has nothing to do with, with, with the existing discussion. The discussion is about autonomous drivers. We believe in something. As much we believed in producing cars in the United States, we believe in autonomous drive. But do you think that from a regulatory standpoint that you will be allowed to test autonomous cars in the way that you'll need to be able to do so in the United States the way that you are, say, in Sweden? 
Well, that's a good question, and I think the, the, the NHTSA has released a report or a proposal in, 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 in July or August where they try to come to a solution on a, from a federal perspective on allowing manufacturers to test, and because that's a prerequisite. You, you, we can't sell cars, which you can't drive from California to Arizona. You have to stop. So I think that's a prerequisite for the autonomous drive, yes. Just quickly, uh, you're going to be importing a car into the United States that's made with your partner, Geely, in China. We are, we are, we are currently, right. yes, we are currently already importing cars from China into the United States. Tell people just what the model is and what. It's uh, it, we 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 we, into, we, uh, we import the S the S sixty since uh, since since one and a half year, and uh, we are a global company. We have factories all over the world, and we import and export cars out of the U.S. in the future and into the U.S. from different places in the world. Might be the way for other automakers to uh, to do it as well. Thanks very much, uh, Lex uh, Kersenmakers. He is the senior vice president, America's president and chief executive for Volvo. We are ready for some transformation, and we have two gentlemen that can help us. Kevin Tynan is our senior autos analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. He can be followed on Twitter at KevTynan10. And also joining us is David Welch, our Detroit bureau chief for Bloomberg News. Uh, David Welch, I want to start with you because first I want to thank you for uh, having us here in Detroit and showing us the hospitality of the Bureau and uh, arranging for a very nice dinner last night. Thank you. Uh, uh, What is the biggest theme? We've been going back and forth here, whether the theme is autonomous driving, is it uh, hybrid vehicles, or is it just just really... I'm going to get to the Honda truck in a second, but or is it trucks? What's the theme for you? Well, the market is always trucks. That's what everybody's buying. Um, but what I find interesting, honestly, is the number of cars and EVs that are here in an era when gas is cheap. No one's really buying either one of, you know, of those, whether it's electric cars or passenger cars. Um, and the Trump era is only going to usher in more of that. He's drill, baby, drill. He's frack, baby, frack. Um, you know, he wants to bring coal back. He, he wants cheap energy of every kind, which, will, which means gasoline will be cheap for as far as the eye can see, and people will buy big stuff. But at this show, we've got a new BMW 5 Series and a Mercedes E-Class when that market's down 25 30% this year. We've got a new Camry, you know, that, that has we had its worst about, year in five to, years, right? Yeah. Um, and you've got uh, uh, Mini has a plug-in hybrid, you know, who's going to... I mean, I'm a Mini owner, but, you know, I'm the guy... <laughs> Um, so. <laughs> oh, it was you. You were the. <laughs> You're the one. You were the statistic on the on the bar chart. You know, Kevin, do you agree? I mean, why? I mean, and also, why do you think that these uh, automakers are rolling out and sort of advertising their sedans and their mid-sized cars uh, in an era where the truck is king? Yeah, well, and and we're basically unwinding car demand and car supply. There's still significant segments. Uh, there's still a lot of unit volume that goes to those segments, but it is declining every year. So I think what you're getting... Can, wait, can you just put that into perspective? I mean, yeah. how much has uh, the car segment declined as a proportion of overall sales? Well, if you look at the, the top three segments by volume as, as we lay them out, uh, compact crossover SUV is the largest for the first time last year. Uh, compact car and midsize car would be two and three. And those had formerly been the largest segments as, as recent as 2014. Uh, those two segments combined, the car segments, were down in roughly 8% last year. Now, keep in mind, this is a record year 
in volume, and car sales were down 8% on midsize and, and compact, while the compact crossover SUV segment was up 13%. So even outperformed a basically a little bit better than flat market, you have a situation where you can't sell cars. Can't sell cars except if you've got big promotions, low-cost financing? Sure, sure. Uh, leasing, we're seeing record leasing levels also, which is uh, we're finding creating affordability as average transaction prices are at record highs as well. Uh, but it's also aligning the driver with the technology cycle. We're seeing new technology every year. A nice 36-month lease aligns with what's new and what's coming. 36. But I keep seeing that there are leases for a lot longer, and boy, the uh, actual loan business yeah. has taken you out in terms of years to the point where I don't know whether there'll be any more rubber left on the tires by the time you turn it back <laughs> That's in. That's a big concern right now because yeah. resale values have also been going uh, down. So, David, why do you think uh, – is, is this just basically a, a PR push then to sort of give a sort of environmentally friendly uh, sort of face to, to auto companies um, with what they're showing versus the trucks that they're selling <laughs> Yeah, there's, well, there are a couple of reasons that you're seeing a lot of EVs plug in hybrids and that sort of thing at an auto show. One is they want to talk to regulators. We're doing the right thing. Uh, because that's, uh, these vehicles are regulatory. You've got the, got the CAFE standards, right? I mean, yeah, and, and you've also got a requirement in California that you have to, a certain percentage of your sales, and it's not insignificant, has to be zero emissions, nothing out of the tailpipe. That typically means an electric car, or and you get partial credits for a plug-in hybrid, so they have to make them. So they're, they're putting them out there to make that statement. The other thing you have to remember, too, is the vehicles that we're seeing today were planned and developed. There were designers and engineers on the sketchboard in 2012. When gas was 360 a gallon, Obama was talking about much tougher, tougher fuel economy rules, and Donald Trump was a reality TV star. So it was a very different world when these vehicles were on the drawing board. And now they're coming to market, and the market is much, much different than it was back then. We've seen 300,000, 500,000 units of growth, and it's mostly been SUVs and trucks, but the stuff they were developing when all that started was much more thrifty. So, Kevin, would you agree with that sort of lens to put on this, that a lot of what we're seeing in terms of the electric vehicles and the uh, autonomous driving and the mid-sized cars, a lot of that was produced in an era when people believed that uh, we were moving to a more fuel-efficient standard? Sure, and, and what I think automakers are doing is looking out whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years and saying, let's assume this end game is electrification and working backwards. And I think what's different now than the pre-bankruptcy period was that they're involved in the development of that technology. Rather than pushing what they want to the market and saying, you'll come and you'll buy it, they're involved in that investment. And then it's able to be scalable. So if, if electric vehicle penetration goes from 3 to 5 to 10 to 15 to 40, whatever it winds up being, they can scale up with it. If it doesn't happen, those vehicles can go to the Lyft fleet, the Uber fleet um, in low-cost low leases, and they hit their, their cafe and their emissions requirements. That way, free to sell as many trucks as they want on the other side of the equation. Well, there's something we haven't talked about here that's hugely important, and that's China. So China is now the biggest car market in the world. And the air quality in its major cities is, is just unbreathable. Yeah, so they are really giving big incentives and big requirements for plug-in hybrids. And over the last 12 to 18 months, they've started to go from plug-in hybrids being good enough to incentives for battery electric vehicles, just, just pure electric cars. And 
in some cases, you know, the, the company or the, the, the government-owned companies get massive incentives for buying these cars, and, and those guys lose money, but the, the government props them up. So they're buying a lot of these vehicles that, that lose money um, for the people who sell them, but the Chinese want it, and as long as the Chinese want this, you're going to have to make them globally and car makers tend to engineer global fleets of vehicles that they build and sell. So real quick, do you think next year you're going to see the same number of electric vehicles? More. More. We'll see more. China leading the charge. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. Uh, Kevin Tynan, Senior Auto Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, and Detroit Bureau Chief David Welch. Thank you so much. more perspective on this incredible, massive floor that we're sitting on with lots of cars uh, in all sorts of positions. I saw one hanging from a wall. I want to bring in Sam Slaughter, chairman of the North American International Auto Show uh, with us here in Detroit. So can you give us some perspective on how this show compares to previous years in terms of scope, uh, number of attendees, and the types of offerings? Well, uh, as far as scope goes, we've added the whole automobility section downstairs, which really speaks to the technology that's coming in our cars. That A lot of it's here, but we're getting all the way up to autonomous self-driving cars, and, and that's really the thing to talk about at the show this year. There's a lot of technology here. You can see it even in the display booths right behind you. They're doing this simulated drive, and, and, and the car's actually moving the way a car would actually move in the track, but it's virtual. Do you think that we're going to see true autonomous vehicles uh, gain some popularity in the next decade? And if so, how, to what degree? I mean, how, how much will the perpetration be? Yeah, you know, John Kraftcheck was here yesterday, uh, the Google uh, autonomous driving guy, and, and, and they've created this new company called Waymo, and they actually have this Chrysler Pacifica that does drive by itself. And they've logged 3 million miles on the actual vehicle, but 5 billion miles um, virtually. And so they've really, uh, they're, they're, they've perfected it in such a way that, to, to, in his words, you know, you can't get close with autonomous driving. It has to be perfect. And so, uh, yes, I think you're going to see increasing uh, self-driving capabilities, whether it's fully autonomous or not. Uh, I think you're going to see more and more self-driving capabilities. But someday, you know, it could all be self-driving. The one thing I don't think it can be, at least yet, is it can't be self-cleaning. And the reason I bring that up is because I know that you started off your real love of automobiles by washing cars at the dealership that you subsequently bought. That's correct. Yeah, and I can still detail a car, just so you know. So that's something that you can't automate. At no, least not you cannot now. automate. I wish you could. All right. Well, then let's talk about the automation and the detail, because you've had to learn a lot of new terms in the last, let's say, five years. If I had said LIDAR to you five years ago, what would you have said I to me? I would have no clue. I would have said, is it something to eat? I don't know. Yeah. So Tell people about what it is, and maybe just give us, let's say, the five most important things that people ask for when they're looking for a car and they want this new technology. Well, they're not asking for LIDAR yet, because nobody knows what it is. But what LIDAR does is it, it really can see in the dark, in the bright sun, in the snow, and it's really going to enable uh, self-driving things to happen. But, you know, that technology is coming right now. I'm driving a car right now, a GMC Acadia, that has adaptive cruise control. You set the cruise at 70 miles an hour, somebody cuts in front of you to pass a truck, your car slows down automatically, it speeds up automatically, a panic stop, and it stops. So there's a lot of things that we're seeing right now in our cars. So customers are starting to ask for those kinds of things. 
Do you think that the first adopters for autonomous cars will really be the ride-sharing services? And how much have you seen sort of uh, an increase in representatives from the ride-sharing uh, companies? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Lisa. And, and the, the, some of these ride-sharing companies are, are participating in the auto show for the first time ever with, with uh, automobility. And yes, I think that's where the n most natural application for it is. The other natural application for it is long-haul trucking. Uh, that's where you know guys get in trucks and they have to drive for eight hours and they have to take eight hours off. Well, the autonomous driving truck doesn't have to take time off. So you still might have a driver to keep it clean, to unload and load, but that driver can take his nap while the truck is still making its progress across the country. So have you seen the number of regulators attending this conference also increasing just as a result of uh, some of the prospects of trucks barreling at, uh, you know, yeah. what? 80 miles per hour without a driver Without inside. a driver, yeah. You know, that's so interesting you asked that question because I think that's a whole, you know, wave of, of litigation and, and planning that we haven't had yet is, you know, right now, you and I make a decision where they're going to hit the baby or hit the tree, right? Well, hopefully, somebody... Hopefully not, actually. I really hope with, I'm not making that decision. If you're faced with that choice, you're going to have to make it. <laughs> but how do you program that? And who programs that? And then who's responsible for what happens? when that accident happens. The good thing about autonomous driving vehicles and all the safety features is we're going to have a lot fewer accidents, and the ones we have are going to be bumps, not collisions. Tracking devices that will be in cars to allow not only your family, but perhaps law enforcement or regulatory this is, bodies. This is where Pim gets you, really paranoid. And he, yeah, he, do, you, do you have something to hide? I mean, are, are you worried not about yet. being well, tracked? No, but, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I found most interesting is that the information that is garnered from the Tesla automobiles, that is all compiled and used by Tesla in order to then yeah. create the next iteration of whatever it is they're right. trying to accomplish. Right, and that's one of the things that this technology, the technology actually learns from its own experience, and that's that's kind of an amazing thought in and of itself. But, you know, the days of being anonymous anymore, I mean, you can't be in a Walmart parking lot without being on camera, and now everybody's going to know where you're going, when you're going, how fast you got there. Uh, I, my bank uh, denied a credit card charge because it said I drove too fast across the state of Michigan on my way to my cottage. And I got gas here, and I stopped to get groceries there, and they wouldn't take my credit card. I guess I have a lead foot, but... Wow, we learned something new about you. Yeah, sorry. You have a lead foot, and yeah. uh, your your bank is is scolding you. Well, thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us. This oh, is you're a very tremendous welcome. event. I'm sure it took uh, months and months of planning. So, thank you so much, Sam Slaughter, Chairman of the North American International Auto Show, uh, here on the show floor. All right, we are broadcasting from the North American International Auto Show, and our guest now is Alan Beatty. He is the Executive Vice President and President of North America for General Motors. Alan, thank you very much for being with us. Before we get to the cars, I want people, if you can, just to give them a very small capsule shot of your career to highlight the notion that this is a global business, and while we spend a lot of time, and we will spend a lot of time, talking about where products are made, your career, I think, highlights how global the business is, and that's not going to change anytime soon, at least anytime soon. Yeah, thank you for that. Nice to, uh, nice to be on. Um, yeah, I actually started in the industry 37 years ago. Um, I've actually worked uh, in eight countries around the world, um, countries like Korea, uh, the Middle East, um, all over Europe, Australia. So, yeah, I have a very global China. perspective. And, uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in China, actually on our, the board of our joint ventures there. So, uh Sticking with that kind of global theme, 
Do you expect that going forward, China is going to account for a bigger proportion of business that General Motors does internationally? I mean, do you think that the international market will account for more and more relative to U.S. consumers? Well, you know, the automotive industry at General Motors is really about, you know, building where we sell. So most of the vehicles that we sell in China are made in China. Most of the vehicles we sell, for example, in North America are made in North America. Um, obviously, moving uh, vehicles around the world, the logistics of that is very expensive. So, yeah, China is a very, very big market, biggest in the world today. Uh, coming off of a very strong 2016, we expect 17 to be strong again. So. Well, and, and sort of to, to speak to my colleague uh, David Welch's uh, point earlier in the program, he was saying that in China, there's a very big emphasis on electric vehicles, much more so than here in the U.S. Are you seeing that as far as, uh, you know, are you seeing that represented in the mix of cars that you are selling in China? Yeah, David's correct. I, I would say the future is going to be electric. I would say we're just beginning on that journey. Um, and obviously uh, in China, um, the regulatory environment is, is stipulating that we have to have um, a large proportion of our vehicles, which are electric and providing uh, electric um, forms of transportation. So it is going to dramatically change um, the landscape over there. We think we're well equipped um, to be able to uh, adapt and to pivot into that environment. But yes, it's going to look very different in the future. The Bolt, the Chevy Bolt and the Chevy Bolt EV. Tell us about both of those and congratulations. I know the Chevy Bolt was named uh, North American Car of the Year. Yeah, so thank you for that. Yeah, the Bolt EV. Um, is a vehicle now that uh, we actually bought it here a year ago um, as a concept and said that we would launch it in 2016. At the time, we were saying 200 miles of range at $30,000 after government subsidies. We actually over-delivered on that. We delivered a vehicle with 238 miles of range, um, and we executed it at $30,000 after government subsidies. The really important thing is, I think, winning the Motor Trend Car of the Year, then winning North American Car of the Year, it's not just a great electric car. It's a great car, period. And so we're very, very proud of the team for executing that vehicle, and it gives us a leadership position. So who is the uh, buyer of this car at this point? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So the, the reason the $30,000 um, is so important is that is actually... That's the price of, that's the of price. this car. Yeah. And just to be clear, this is a long-range electric vehicle, Correct. and the objective is to be in an affordable price. Correct. And the reason $30,000 is important is that hits the midpoint of the U.S. consumer today. So the, the midpoint of the range of where people are buying is $30,000. So it hits right into the mainstream market. That's why it's so important. And uh, who's going to buy this vehicle? Um, we think that with that amount of range, it takes range uh, anxiety off the table. We think there could be uh, widespread adoption. Do you think about how many automobile companies and how many offerings there are? I believe there were over 300 combinations you could get this year alone. And, of course, not everyone is a big seller. Do you see any consolidation increasing in the automobile industry? Um, that's a that's a, uh, a broad question. I would say at, at General Motors, uh, we're actually consolidating with ourselves. We're a, we're a big, big global company, but in fact, in the past, we've operated uh, pretty independently from each other. But uh, going back to the, to the does question, that does that still re relate to let's say the Buick division, which really is a, a success story in, in China? That's a great example. So um, you know the things that we're doing in the U.S., like the Bolt EV, um, we're able to then use that and transfer that knowledge and technology to 
give it global scale. And so, no, I don't think uh, there's anything on the, the cards right now from our perspective, but we're doing a lot of work to make sure around the world that we're staying as common and as, as, uh, as similar as we possibly can. You know, we've talked to a number of analysts who said that the auto industry just in general has been plateauing after a number of years of pretty rapid growth. Over the next three years, do you expect uh, some kind of decline or do you think that we're just going to stay at this sort of plateau? Yeah, I, I always smile when people say it's plateauing. It's plateauing at the highest level we've ever seen. Last year was another all-time record. Not a bad so time to not plateau. A pla- exactly. So, look, as we look into 17, we think the market's going to be very strong again. Um, it will either be another uh, record or it will be very close to it. So we're expecting a very, very strong 2017. And do you think that it will be largely composed of trucks the way that it has been? Um, obviously, uh, trucks and SUVs have, have obviously been driven by the lower fuel prices. Uh, we expect fuel prices to stay pretty much where they are today through 17. So, yes, we think that you'll see that continued growth. All right. Thank you so much. Alan Fady, Executive Vice President, uh, President of North America of General Motors, here with us at the International Auto Show uh, in Detroit. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.